0: of Old School Guns. Hope you like the new introduction music. Decided I'd change that up a bit. Don't know if I'm going to stay with it, but we'll uh, we'll see. We'll definitely see. This is episode 129, 129. And as usual, if you have any questions or comments, you can email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com, and you can also leave them in the comments section of Podbean, which is our main carrier. If you pick up a little bit of background noise, uh, I'm up at our small but nice little property that we managed to secure about a year ago. Um, It's very cold outside. It's probably zero degrees or or so. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, um, it's a little old ranch house, and so, you know, it is not the (laughs) snuggest more warmest place, uh, kind of think of a cabin, you know, it's it's cozy in some ways, but uh, it definitely needs some heat. So I do have a pellet stove, which is a godsend, which is probably one of the great inventions of mankind. And uh, of course, it, it, it does make a little bit of noise. So if you hear a little bit of humming in the background, that's kind of what that is. That's the blower of the uh, thing distributing heat throughout the, uh, the little house here. So that's what's going on so well well let's get into the most obvious biggest thing and this actually does apply to the second amendment oddly enough and that is what i call pain in the ukraine um clearly this guy putin has outfoxed just about everyone Uh, i thought that what he would do was when he declared the two you know regions in the Donbass as kind of independent and then, you know, as independent countries, they kind of ask him for help and, of course, he could then go in there. Uh, It's it's a fake pretext, but it's a pretext nonetheless. Um, I thought that would kind of be the extent of it. I didn't think he was really all that interested in uh, a full-scale invasion, but he is. And, uh, you know, he's going to go to the capital and he's going to do something. Uh, You know, there's some nonsense about talks now and Everything, but I once you gain the military, militarily the upper hand, the incentive to negotiate (laughs) is really kind of goes away because, uh, why negotiate when you're gonna, you know, win the jackpot anyway? Um, you know, what this really means is, uh, you know, kiss Russian ammo goodbye. You know, we kind of thought that when Biden slapped the uh, thing saying they wouldn't import anymore, we thought that was reversible, but now. You know, frankly, I don't think it's going to be reversible. So, you know, kiss Russian-made ammo goodbye. And just hope that we can buy stuff that's similar. And it doesn't have to <laughs> similar in quality and performance, which really isn't high and really isn't uh, tremendously, uh, tremendous performers. But we hope that we can kind of pick something like that up. Steel-cased, economy-priced, uh, fitting the, the traditional Warsaw Pact, you know, comm-block calibers. I hope that we can pick that up from places like Poland and Romania, and Bulgaria, maybe the uh, Baltic republics. You know, places that are just outside of of Russia. And so maybe even Belarus. You know, they're they're kind of allied with Russia, but you know, they're still an independent country. None of these sanctions really apply to them. So anyway, you uh, can kiss all that goodbye. Pain in the Ukraine. Um, he has definitely fooled everyone. And really, you know, I don't know. Um, I think the Ukrainians are foolish to resist at this point. I mean, right now it's a—it's just turned into a physics problem. And basically the force is going to overwhelm them. And there's just nothing they can do about it. It's science at this point. It, it's just mass is going to overcome, you know, all these... Uh, um, other little things that they try to throw in, like the will to fight and the you know spirit of resistance and all that. Those, those things all are going to kind of go away. So, you know, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this plays out. I think they'll just establish a government that's more friendly to them. And, you know, I hate to... I think it was a thuggish and bullying thing to do. But this... This has come about as a result of 30 years of failed policy. Um, When the Soviet Union dissolved into its constituent republics, and most people don't even know that there's a big difference between the Soviet Union and the Warsaw Pact. Countries like Poland, Czechoslovakia, Romania, Bulgaria, they were essentially... At least notionally, independent countries, and they were independent countries which uh, were member of a military alliance. Each Germany was in it, you know, um, and they were they were in a military alliance, just the same as NATO has got. You know, all the different countries that are in NATO. The Soviet Union was something different. The Baltic republics, Belarus, Ukraine, you know, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, and there's probably several other stands and I'm uh, forgetting those were part of the Soviet Union they were part of a they were one country essentially as as much as a state was even though they're different ethnic states and everything else but they were one country so uh, consequently you know, it's a, it's a big difference between countries like Poland and Czechoslovakia that used to be in the Warsaw Pact, and countries like Ukraine and the Baltic Republics, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia that used to be, that were part of the Soviet Union. So, it's a very, very complex situation as far as, you know... When you, when you look at it, of course, they don't like having NATO countries like the Baltic Republics, and they don't want Ukraine to become a NATO member and be right on an un, notionally unfriendly military alliance right on their border with advanced missiles, advanced air defense, and advanced aircraft, and all these things that are perceived as first strike type weapons. They don't want that on their border. Just the same way we did not want ballistic missiles in Cuba and for the Cuban Missile Crisis you know we we said that is unacceptable to us well Ukraine drifting into NATO even if it's slow and even if everybody right now says well that was never the plan well five years from now it could be the plan um Ukraine drifting into NATO is equally unacceptable to post-Soviet Russia so we have to kind of respect that and we have to realize that we should have been working all this out the last 30 years rather than let it come to a head now and let you know a guy who's you know I know they they, they all want to make fun of him and call names and everything but and, and they excoriated Trump for saying yeah basically he's smart and he's smart that Putin is smart he's as smart as a whip and uh you know, but the truth is, he's outfoxed these guys. He is a ruthless political operator, and he's a thinker. And he's not crazy. He's not a maniac or anything else. He has got some objectives, and this is what he's doing to fulfill them. And he's basically, you know, he's he waited. Uh, NATO NATO is just rotten to the core anymore. It's it's a hollow paper tiger whatever you want to put on it Um, you know Trump tried to rectify the problems in NATO by telling them all you need to pay your fair share of your GDP for defense and they refused to do it and now they basically don't have much military power militarily NATO is a joke it is a freaking joke compared to the cold war when you know they were forced to contribute more so i think that um you know they're kind of they've made fools out of themselves and and that's what they are they're fools and their bluff has been called nato's bluff has been called which is hey don't do anything we don't like because we're nato and we're really powerful and all the rest Well, the Russians aren't scared of them. They're not scared of that. That's ridiculous. Um, They see what NATO has become. They see, you know, they know how much they're spending on defense. They see they're not procuring new weapons technologies or anything else. They see they're just basically sitting back on their haunches. You know, you could make an argument that maybe NATO should have been dissolved in 1993 when the Soviet Union had dissolved. And a new security architecture should have been in its place. I, st- I think that that probably would have been wise. But we'll see what happens. It's uh, going to be interesting. One of the th- most interesting aspects of this <laughs> is that the Ukrainian government now recognizes the citizen's right to keep and bear arms. And in fact, um, if you're a Ukrainian citizen and you can get to a nearest military base or a police station or something. Um, Apparently, they're handing out AK-47s saying, you know, do your best. Um, That is a stupid mistake. Uh, I I mean, I know it psychologically kind of sends this message out to the world that, hey, we're going to resist. You know, we're going to fight on the beaches. We're going to fight on the streets. We're going to fight in the hills. Yeah, 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 okay. But the fact of the matter is that if you have a bunch of civilians running around with AKs, they're just going to get killed, get themselves killed. Um, they're better off not doing that, but uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. The fun part will be that if, if Ukraine survives as a nation after this, <laughs> there's going to be, how do, you, how do you then put the genie back in the bottle? I guess you tell everybody, hey, bring all those AKs back. Well, after this experience, I don't think they'll have a whole lot of takers. So, even if they make guns totally illegal in the post-invasion Ukraine, um, I don't th- I still think there're going to be a lot floating around because people aren't going to let go of them. So, that is the biggest thing on Ukraine and and frankly, you know, if you want to listen to the how feeble incompetent and shameful our government actually is. Uh, you know, listen to I think Ben Shapiro is a guy to listen to. Chris Plant is a guy to listen to. They've got all the ins and outs, much better than I do with with politics and and everything. Um. You know, Doug McGregor, retired colonel. He goes on Tucker Carlson. I think he was on last night. Yeah, he was on last night. Um you know he's a guy to listen to he he will tell you that you know yes there is actually another side to this story but what has happened has been very thuggish and cruel one last note as a as a person who's participated in two armed conflicts um, I don't find this to be funny or or anything at all I mean I it's it is very very sad business and it's very serious business And you know what? Don't think that it's just going to be a status quo. I mean, um, and there could be something happens that blunders us all into a war. I mean, that's still a possibility. I, I think it's remote, and every hour that passes, it becomes a lot more remote. But, you know, could be in a ground war in Europe over this. It's not outside the realm of possibility but we will let that go for now and you know we've got a lot of questions and answers this time and this is my favorite part of the podcast Um, I really do enjoy the questions and answers and we got some very interesting ones and I'll start one of our listeners Westring92 has asked do you think we would have better weapons in World War II if we had adopted the 276 Pedersen instead of the 30odd 6 um, Yes, let me, uh, let me say that, first of all, we didn't adopt one in lieu of the other. We just, we just retained the .30-06. We'd already adopted it. And the question was, should we retain it or should we replace it with the 276 Pedersen? And the 276 Pedersen is a lower-powered cartridge, uh, seven millimeter, essentially. And um, even though they call it a 276, it actually took a 284 bullet. I, I don't know. I, I I guess it's that whole groove diameter versus land diameter deal. Okay, so let's let's go through the litany of weapons and see where that would have where that would help obviously it's not gonna affect pistols at all so handguns you know there's no way that that any kind of a weapon becomes light enough so that it supplants a pistol and fires the 276 Peterson and sometimes I say Peterson I mean Pedersen it just uh, it's just a little <laughs> mistake I you routinely make okay so pistols you know they're off the table doesn't affect them submachine guns does it affect them well if we have a lighter garand rifle do we need as many submachine guns because remember our submachine guns in world war ii are very very heavy or do we have different submachine guns you know there might have been it might have said hey why would you carry a thompson that's heavier than your 276 Pederson m1 garand um, maybe we need something, maybe we'll just copy these Sten guns instead, because they're lighter. So maybe it would have had an effect on submachine guns. Maybe there wouldn't be as many, and maybe they would be different than the uh, the Thompsons and the uh, M3 grease guns that we used in World War II. So could have had some effect there. Our rifles, that's where you're going to see the biggest impact. Uh, the Garand rifle could have been lighter. It could have been handier. Um, it would could have held ten rounds instead of eight. It would have had a flatter trajectory. Yeah, there are a lot of lot of good things that the 276 Pedersen would have done in the M1 Grand. That would have been that would have been a real winner. That would have been a real winner. Uh, when you look at light machine guns, and we really didn't have one. We just had an automatic rifle that we used as a light machine gun could have made the BAR uh, lighter. Um, it wouldn't have needed the stout receiver that it had. That could have been lightened up quite a bit. Um, also, the magazine could have been, you could have had a 30-round magazine. It would have been a little bit longer, and it would have had to be curved because the uh, two seventy six Pedersen cartridge had a pretty big taper to it. Um, sort of like a 762 by 39 and, you know, kind of looked like that. Um, so you could have had a 30-shot lightweight, lighter weight BAR. That would have been worthwhile. Um, as far as the other machine guns go, I don't know you could have made a whole lot of weight savings on the 30 caliber Brownings because, you know, they were just, they, they, they kind of are what they are. Uh, The design really doesn't lend itself to lightening it up or making it smaller for a a different cartridge. It just kind of gets chambered in a different cartridge. And, uh, you know, so you you would say, well, would 276 be a good machine gun cartridge? Uh, For the infantry, it it probably would have been okay. Um, For light vehicles, probably would have been okay. For aircraft and rifle-caliber aircraft machine guns, at least the beginning of the war, first part of the war, were a thing. They they did have them. Eight um, millimeter, you know, 303, 30 out six, 276. I think would have been a little light. I think that would have been a little bit light, maybe still usable, but definitely light. Um, so there you kind of have it. Um, one other place where I think it really would have had some good effect would have been for sniper rifles. So imagine an O3A3 no O3A4 with a scope and uh, essentially much flatter shooting cartridge. Lighter recoil you know maybe quicker follow-up shot you know that, that those would all be good things. Um, it would have kind of been not really similar to, but it would have been going down the path that the uh, 6.5 Creedmoor has gone down in the last, say, 15 years of being a cartridge that shoots flat enough that you don't have to make a lot of calculations at combat ranges. You just kind of uh, put it on there and go. And, you know, that would have been a very very good um... sniper rifle cartridge um... yeah that would have been really very good Um, you know in its in its cons i would have said that you know the anything under thirty caliber has always had some question as to its effectiveness of the the effectiveness of its terminal ballistics both the Japanese and the Italians had 6.5 rifles which they attempted to abandon during the war but could not just because things were too late couldn't switch over so they had to keep making them the Italians created the 7.35 Carcano, made a bunch of rifles, made a bunch of rounds, and then just had to, for just pragmatic reasons, go back to the 6.5. So they just dumped all the 7.35s, gave... Uh, they gave some to Finland and probably gave some somewhere else, but... Um, anyway, so they, they kind of... They tried to convert and ditched it. Japanese went to 7.7, which was ballistically very similar to the 30 6 which shows that they were very impressed with the 30-06 and wanted its performance of a round like that when they had the lighter round. So, you know, that's kind of the only wild card out there. We'll never know. We'll never actually know. But, you know, that's that's the one out there. If you want to see what a 276 Pedersen really is, uh, ballistically it is slightly inferior because just because of the powder they had back then it's slightly inferior to the seven millimeter 08 Remington which is a 762 by 51 NATO 762 NATO neck or 308 Winchester neck down to seven millimeter um, that is essentially what you have now they're not interchangeable because of the um, the big taper on the 276 Pedersen you know ballistically they're about the same so if you really wanted to if you really wanted to, like, if you had one of those, you know, a reweld M1 Garand, I wouldn't use a real M1 Garand just because I wouldn't, but or one of those aftermarket M1 Garands, you know, that they they produced. Uh, Springfield Armory sold a couple of iterations of those. Um, if you took that, or you, <clears throat> or you even took a uh, semi-automatic you know an M1A M14 or something um, and you chambered that in 7mm 08 Remington and you know you put kind of the metal handguard on top um, you would have something that approximates a grand operating system rifle in a cartridge that is ballistically very similar if not almost identical to 276 Pedersen, and that would be an interesting gun to shoot. That would be interesting to say, "Hey, I really like this," or "B, it's really a dog." You you could use as I'm thinking this through. You could use an M1A that's got a 10-round magazine, and therefore you would have the 10 rounds that the uh, um, 276 Pedersen Garand would have would have had and uh, that'd be pretty interesting that would be pretty interesting so you can uh, kinda look at that but the 7mm 08 you know they both they both shot like a hundred you know it's and I think the Pedersen was 125 grain bullet about 2750 and the uh, 7mm 08 is about the same and it throws at about 2800 so they're really very very close uh, probably no meaningful difference between the two um, because a lot of that performance is on the types of rifles they're fired out of. So there you go you could uh, you could definitely do that. I think on balance, you couldn't go wrong either way and that's a fence sitting <laughs> non-committal opinion. Um, the post-war cartridge. Developments in the United States were based on a shortened 30 6 with no taper and similar ballistic, and that led us to 762 NATO. Um, yeah, and that's that's kind of when we knew that um, the handwriting was on the wall with, with intermediate cartridges or should have seen it so the interesting follow-up question is of this is had the 276 Pedersen been adopted what would the effect have been on post-war weapon developments and very 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 interestingly would we have just forced that upon our allies because we really didn't United States really didn't buy into the intermediate cartridge they considered 8mm Kurtz as a submachine gun cartridge, didn't pay any attention to the Soviet M43, by 39 So they were looking for that same good performance they had in World War II. Had 276 Pedersen delivered that, I think they would have just said, this is going to be the new NATO cartridge, which would have made the uh, British very happy because you know they were experimenting with those goofy bullpups in the early 50s so they would have been able to keep their goofy bullpup and and instead of having to develop their own 284 cartridge they would have just had the 276 Pedersen been happy so the British would have had their their bullpups that would have been a disaster because those were goofy you know awkward goofy weapons but you know they wanted them so that's it um <clears throat> Would that have retarded the development in the West, in the United States in particular, of the intermediate cartridge, you know, 556 by 45? And I would say the answer probably would have been no. We would have wound up there anyway, because even though the 276 Pedersen was less powerful than the 30 six it certainly was not an intermediate cartridge by any means and I don't think it could have been adapted to the roles that the intermediate cartridges were doing which was you know shoulder fired fully automatic fire lightweight um, being put into guns like the uh, AR15 which were which were very lightweight mostly you know very modern manufacturing of aluminum and 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 all the rest of it so I don't think I don't think you would have seen it it would have been like the the M4 you would have seen maybe an M14 and 276 Pedersen you know a, a basically a just a magazine fed garand um, and you still would have seen it for sniping and it probably would still be you know a round that might be I don't know that they would have even kept it for machine guns um, for ground machine guns if they did it it might even still be in use today which is kind of kind of really uh, mind-boggling to think about that uh, the 276 Pedersen could have been a general-purpose machine gun cartridge that would survive until today or a squad automatic weapon cartridge that would still be in use today so um, and certainly uh, with improved ammunition improved powders improved bullets Um, could have been a could have been developed into a a sniping round just developed over the years I, i think one of the problems that would have happened with the 276 is it would have been very difficult to produce an AP round that had the same effect on hard targets that 30 odd 6 or you know 30 US M1 uh AP does on on targets because that's a very powerful round that's a it's got a steel penetrator in it and it uh um, did a really good job and a lot of that ammo was just used in regular rifles because it it, it performed so well against cover. So It would have been hard to kind of duplicate that in a lighter round and it might have been harder to produce a decent tracer although it should have been possible but it might have been more difficult with the technology back then so that might have helped mitigate against it with um with the machine guns also um but other than that that's kind of where i said it would have been we might be looking at a very different small-arm scene right now especially as military calibers always affect civilian calibers because really had they adopted 276 Pedersen uh, you would not have seen uh, 308 Winchester 762 NATO so what would have filled that void would it have been the 276 or perhaps something else who knows who knows but a very interesting and thought-provoking question but if you ever want to see what a 276 Pedersen will do just go to the old seven mm 08 and that's uh, ballistically going to be the same thing so there you there you have it another question I have is which is better the 30-30 Winchester or the 32 Winchester special um better better is always a subjective term um I would say that as far as getting components brass and ammunition 3030 is the winner hands down my favorite however is the 32 winchester special because actually i believe it hits harder they say it does not but i believe it does so i like the 32 winchester special it's it shoots bullets the same weight but it's got a larger cross-sectional area and i think i think it actually is uh, it hits harder uh, one of the one of the analysis I saw was that the 32 hits harder out to 100 yards, and then it starts to lose velocity, and the 30/30 is better. But really, those kind of rifles you are seldom used beyond 100 yards or 100 150 yards, really. So that's the uh, that's the story with those. Okay, next question. Uh, your opinion of snub nose revolvers um okay my opinion i like snub nose revolvers but you got to realize what their limitations are number one ballistically they limit the they, they limit the cartridges they fire because of the short barrel you just don't get the you know the ballistic advantage of having a longer barrel so you're firing all of the things being equal two identical cartridges fired in a snub nose with the two-inch barrel and something with a six or an eight-inch barrel uh, you're gonna lose a lot of the velocity and power in the two-inch barrel Uh, the I have fired and I've actually owned snub nose revolvers Um, while they're very good for close quarters which is what they're designed for no surprise there uh, I've never quite cared for them because frankly you get beyond 12 15 yards and it becomes very difficult to hit a target well so um that's just the way it is it's just what they're designed to do they're they don't call them belly guns for nothing um they're you know it's good but they're just they don't have the traditional range even the 25 yard range that you would expect a handgun to have they don't have it so uh therefore they they're somewhat limited and therefore they're a little bit less interesting to me I do like the kind of the panache or the uh, the style of a snub nose they look all business but frankly I prefer a four inch barrel Uh, four inch barrels outperform snub noses by a by a tremendous amount so therefore I'm I'm a four inch barrel guy more than a snub nose guy so that's that's my answer and this one's easy Do the tiny North American arms revolvers have a practical use? It depends what you mean by practical. I would say they have almost no use. Um, I can't think of a single situation where those things are in any way good. Here's my thinking. Um, The barrels are usually sub one inch. You're firing 22 at the best case long rifle and in the worst case 22 short Um, against an opponent that is armed with anything I think you're just making a terrible mistake while you can inflict some damage your chance of generating a fight stopping wound on your opponent just seems to me to be very very small Um, you could hit him in the eye and blind them I mean make no mistake I, I, I don't treat them as toys I don't think that they're a joke but they're so suboptimal that um, I don't see much use for them at all Um, even as the deepest concealment type of weapon I just don't think their effectiveness is anything you can rely or count on so I don't think much of them at all okay next question are chronographs worth the money and hassle you know that that depends I've I've never used well I've used a chronograph but I've never owned one um, I just don't care I mean I load I hand load for accuracy I'm not that worried about velocity um, the reason I say I'm not worried about velocity is you get a good idea of the velocity just from your loading manuals and your loading data Um, okay maybe they're using a six-inch pressure barrel for a handgun load but I'm shooting it out of a six-inch revolver I know I lose a little bit at the uh, at the gap at the cylinder gap but I I don't think it's meaningful so I I just think that um, you know I don't see a real need for one for handguns now for rifles if you're going to shoot extended long-range I would say if you're gonna shoot over 500 yards which actually is mid-range as far as the NRA is concerned uh, if you're gonna shoot mid-range or long-range or extended long-range you want to know your muzzle velocity as closely as you can so you can plug that into these ballistic calculation programs that they have so it it does have some some stuff there Um, I'm a little bit old-school um, again i i can just about tell what i'm what i'm going to get from the loading manual and i can put that put that into the uh, calculation myself and then frankly you know the rubber meeting all those things are just models anyway and the rubber meeting the road is how does it actually perform and i found that you know my stuff is usually pretty pretty much on uh, maybe a click adjustment here and there but you know hey that's that's okay you're gonna have that anyway probably so depending on your standard deviations and and all that so um, you know I don't really I'm not about to go and buy a lab radar um, although I've seen them operate and they are so freaking cool they are so high-tech and cool I want one just for that reason but um, I I have no um, no great um, urge to go to go buy one but I do find them very very cool and uh, you know I'm not gonna say never but I will say it would probably have to be someday in the future someday in the future Uh, have you seen the new Marlin 4570 stainless steel made by Ruger which now owns Marlin i have not seen the gun I've just seen an article on it looks pretty much like you know your standard Marlin which are great lever guns very underrated, but great lever guns. Uh, my only my only deal with it is I'm just too much of a traditionalist to like modern touches on a lever action. So um, while I don't care about the John Wayne big la- big loop that they put on it, which looks dorky, but I get it. People want that. Um, th- that has a pistol grip stock, which you know is kind of traditional um the stock is a laminate which is not traditional but it is still okay but the where where they lose me is they put a big picatinny rail on top of the receiver and halfway down the barrel and then they put in a um one of those fiber optic front sights so it doesn't look like a doesn't look like it came off the planes so i'm just like yeah it's fine but it's it just really doesn't interest me I would be much more interested in a even a copy of a Winchester eighteen eighty six and forty-five seventy. Yeah, so that's just the way it goes. A copy that is of course true to the original. So there you have that. Okay. Next question. The three hundred what do you think of the three hundred Remington Ultra Mag for extended long range shooting? Uh, frankly I can't answer that because I don't do extended long-range shooting so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it's good or bad I will say what I know about the caliber and that's about it uh, I believe it was designed for hunting and not target shooting which means that you would have to be very careful with how the the rifle is chambered uh, making sure if you're gonna shoot like long, uh, the kind of bullets that they use in extended long-range shooting, which are very, very long bullets, um, and designed for low drag. The um, bad part about the ultra magnum is I am given to understand. I have not experienced this because I, I don't shoot it, but I've been told it's a really bad barrel burner. So that that right there tells me that. You can get away with it as a hunting rifle, but not as a rifle you're going to shoot a lot. Um, One thing I read said the barrel will burn out in as little as 500 rounds, which is very, very bad. (laughs) Because unless you have some kind of switch barrel or detachable barrel rifle, the cost of getting it rebarreled is going to be significant. And if you're doing that kind of shooting, 500 rounds, you could do that pretty quickly. So you're going to be replacing barrels all the time, which seems to me to be um, problematic, just very problematic. So I, I would say it's probably designed more for taking things like planes game in Africa or making a, a uh, maybe something like elk or some, or a moose, you know, some, some or a large dangerous bear perhaps. I think it's more designed for that than it is uh, long-range shooting but it is a very intriguing caliber because it does offer performance but I think it's like a lot there are guns out there that are just too hard on barrels and the 264 Winchester Magnum 220 Swift and a few others have that reputation that they just eat up barrels and that's, that's the way it goes and I think the uh, 300 Ultra Magnum is the same way really have to be careful with some um, with velocities and I don't know where barrel burners really come in but I can tell you that anything over three thousand feet per second you're probably looking at something that might be a barrel burner and even though 556 routinely goes over that also most of the barrels for that are chrome lined or they're treated in some way so they don't seem to burn barrels quite like the uh, larger center fires do but um i'll tell you um if it's only 500 rounds i I can see these these guys going through that in fairly short order so i would say no i would say um go for something that is proof. look and see what the successful people in that sport are using and use that as a guide for for what you should have okay here's another question that is actually very interesting and the reason it's interesting is because in the uh, January we did the Great Red Dawn, Kansas uh, rifle and pistol match, and I, I kind of went old school. I, I, I mentioned this before. I went, uh, um, you know, Moisen 91 uh, um, Dragoon rifle for the rifle, and I went with a Mauser broom handle known as a C96. As the pistol, and uh, so one guy asked me, he goes, "Hey, did you did you use your shoulder stock on the pistol?" And I, I, of course, I had not. But uh, another thing, when I was talking about the the match and the the pistols and things, uh, one thing a question was asked, and it goes are pistol shoulder stocks like the c96 browning high power and artillery luger are they effective as carbines does it, it does it really turn a pistol into an effective carbine and the answer i will have to give you you know i've, I've got experience with the c96 with an original um holster wooden holster that turns into the shoulder stock you know the the shoulder stock is also a a holster that the gun fits inside and I've got the same thing with a Browning high-power World War II vintage and I've got the same thing with the um, artillery Luger that's a reproduction stock I've got experience with all three of those and they have one thing in common is they rot they stink as carbines um, you know frankly if you're well-trained enough, they're more of a hindrance than a help. But for people who aren't, and especially people in those times, who, who didn't get a lot of trigger time for a lot of reasons, it just didn't happen, um, I could see where they had some value, but it's kind of like, they're kind of like the, the, the antique equivalent of the modern pistol brace is about the best way I can put it. They help, but are they the Panacea and the answer is no and here's why they're too short they're rickety I mean where they attach onto the pistol there's always some wobble so you gotta compensate for that wobble I usually just kinda push them to one side a little bit um they're they're not designed well to get a good cheek weld or anything and the worst part is the pistol sights even on the artillery Luger the tangent sight high power and the tangent sight broom handle mauser um, you really don't get a great sight picture with those things and the way most pistols are designed you either have a bolt like the c96 a toggle like on the luger or a slide like the browning kind of coming perilously close to your face when you're shooting these so they are not they are not that great they're they're cool and, and I get it. They, you know, in Hollywood movies, you know, I, th- I think Joe Kidd had with Clint Eastwood had, you know, he used a Mauser C-96 that he he takes off a guy. Um, you know, it's got a shoulder stock. They, you know, they are cool. They're, there's a definite cool factor. They look great. They look cool and everything else. When it comes down to actual shooting, they're not that great. And that's why they never really became a thing. It's like one of those deals. It's a good idea at the time, but then you look at it and you say, "Yeah, I'm not too sure about this." And when you try it out, you say, "Yeah, it's not really worth it." And in fact, um, I know with the Luger's and the Mausers, they actually did build some into carbines with even longer barrels and a and a fixed stock, and and those were a little bit better. But they still, you know, they still have a problem. Of the sights and the, you know, with the Mauser 96 especially, the the disconcerting bolt coming back at your face, um, definitely, yeah, they they don't make it. They, you know, in the absence of anything else, um, I I suppose they were okay in World War One. I can't imagine a more clumsy weapon than the snail drum artillery luger on the shoulder stock it it doesn't balance well it doesn't carry well it doesn't do a whole lot the drum magazine by modern standards is pretty unreliable um you know i i don't know it just it just wasn't a winner i mean it's it just it did not justify they would have been just better off giving the people who got those just giving them regular PO 8 Lugers you know just give them a regular Luger and you know be done with it and you know do the best you can um the only reason those those guns kinda came around and, and almost every one was used in conjunction with you know uh, your average kinda of Mauser bolt-action rifle um, so, you know, a five-shot rifle or one of these contraptions. Some people, you know, did go with the contraptions. Uh, light carbines like the, M- the M1 carbine is just worlds beyond any of these shoulder-stocked traditional pistols. It's just worlds beyond it. I would even say that when you... Uh, I know these guys all like to have their... They're AR pistols and and all these other AK pistols with the pistol bra- with a pistol brace on them, but I still think you're much better served with an M1 carbine than you are with any of those, just the way it is. Um, yeah, can't say any much much more about that. Okay, next question is, what is your opinion of Draco pistols? It's a essentially a 7.62 by 39 pistol it has got a short barrel yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, you know what I I the first thing I tell people is when they they start talking to me about that is I say stop get a real Kalashnikov it won't cost you really any more. and in some cases it's actually cheaper you get a firearm you can shoot much better you get the utilize the ballistic properties of the cartridge which is usually but not always, but usually seven six two by thirty nine. Um, I've never seen one in five four five. I'm not saying they don't have never made one, but I've never really seen one. I've seen them in nine millimeter. Um, frankly, I, I just stay steer clear of those things. The ones I've seen couldn't hit very much. Now, if you put a pistol brace on it, which is the short shoulder stock, really, um, you still can't manage them very well. The regular AK is a very manageable gun. It's a very concealable um, rifle. You know, I mean, if you if you are one of these guys doing VIP protection or something, Kalashnikov is good. It's a short overall length rifle. It's a short rifle anyway, so it's a really good rifle to use. And when it goes to a Kalashnikov, the regular fixed stock is the best option. They're comfortable. They're not too long, they're not too short. You can even manage them if you're wearing heavy clothes. Um, they, they hit, the Soviets hit a design point in there where it's not uncomfortable to use in heavy clothes. It's not uncomfortable to use in you know regular summer clothes. They hit that point. They hit the point where it's okay for both. Um, so it's it's very, very good, and I would use that stay away from these other things um i've never seen one that could hit the broadside of a barn because you know frankly holding it when you have no brace on it whatsoever is ridiculous it's a hazard to the people around you um a lot of muzzle blast I, I mean it just it should be a good idea but it's not um it's kind of like the krinkov everybody thinks they're so cool then you actually fire one and you say, get rid of this thing. I just don't want this thing, you know. Um, it, it all goes back to a lot of people think, and we've discussed this before, shorter weapons are cool, therefore the shorter weapon I have the cooler I am. I'm much more cool with a micro Uzi than I am with a mini Uzi, and a mini Uzi is much more cool than a regular Uzi. You know, I mean, it goes down this absurd path of smaller is more cool and somehow more effective when in fact just the opposite is the same. Um, if you really want to hit something with a with a rifle you, you generally uh, want it larger and, and uh, more suited for for what you're doing. The worst example of the rifle the coolness of a rifle which compromises your ability to shoot it is go try to shoot it under folder AK and see how much fun that is. Or the telescoping stock G3. Um, The AK just, it looks cool. And in fact, when I was in Iraq to tell a quick war story, all of the protective services guys for all the Iraqi politicians and all that, every single ak i saw was the folding stock the under folder ak because it looked cool you know and these guys they'd have it all folded up and you know they could allegedly fire it like a pistol or they could extend the stock and and frankly these guys couldn't hit anything either way and they liked it because they thought it was cool frankly they would have been much better off with a fixed stock ak much better off so that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from with, with all that. The um, telescoping stock G3 makes that a much more portable rifle and great in a lot of ways, except you will hate yourself after you shoot it. And I know this because on my G3 I had one, and holy cow, um, that thing beats you. And not only does it just beat back into your shoulder and pulverize it, but it also beats your face because it's just a metal bar (laughs) that's that you're getting a cheek weld to and uh, um, it's yeah it's it's very unpleasant so the regular HK stock is a, a much better alternative much better alternative you know sometimes you have to look at what has got the most developmental effort put behind it and Rifle stocks like the AR fifteen A one stock, the the M four collapsible stock, the you know, FNFAL stock, and there's a lot of other ones. Those have been tested and those those are not just accidents, they're not just happen chance. Those were were basically designed to fit the maximum amount of people deliver the maximum amount of stability and enhance marksmanship It those those stocks a lot of thought and design effort went into them uh... when you start talking about telescoping stocks and folding stocks you're inducing compromises in which means that it's not going to be as good for its primary function but it's going to be optimal in some other way like compactness and um Frankly, you get to a point where you're willing to sacrifice compactness for <laughs> for shootability, you know. And uh, skeletonized steel stocks are one of those areas. But to get back to the Draco pistols, most of those don't have any kind of deal. Uh, they got heavy recoil for what they are. They're they're hard to control. There's no real way. You hold them around the pistol grip and around the fore end. Uh, again, the sights don't quite work well i realize now they have the nine millimeter versions which are you know cool i'm not a real big pcc guy so i'm not a real fan of nine millimeters nine millimeter rifles i mean i just i'm just not so uh, if they're full auto that's that's a different story but not a real big fan of nine millimeter rifles they're they're okay but you know, they, they seem to be a lot... For what you're carrying around, they're a lot more underpowered. So, Anyway, that is it for this edition of Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you like it is. And like I said at the beginning, you can always leave a comment for me at podbean, or you can email it to me at kbmakel at aol.com. That is kbmakel at aol.com. And until next time, this is Old School Guns, out.